listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Oh, happy Easter, everybody. Okay, well, you can do way better than that. I'm an insecure person. All right, let's try it again. Happy Easter, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just to clarify, I was not just in the basement, all right? That was hours ago. No, I'm, I'm just joking on that. Yeah, I was, uh, I was thinking after watching that amazing spoken word, uh, music combination where it talks about the last hours of the life of Jesus, how incredibly hard it was for Jesus. I mean, un- unbelievably hard, how difficult it was course, if you've read the Gospels, you know that really Jesus' entire ministry, so much of his life was just hard. It's like everywhere he went, people were pushing back. People were angry with him. People were trying to undermine anything that he might try to accomplish in any way good. And it's not like Jesus was out partying and just doing stuff to make himself happy. He was actually out doing good. Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So Jesus the Son and God the Father were going out all over the place, and they're doing good. They're, they're bringing healing to people. They're setting people free. And yet time and time and time again, what he gets is pushback and hurtful things. I mean, even one of his own disciples, after he had risen from the dead, you know his name, Thomas. Thomas is like, mm, I'm not buying that he's really risen. That had to hurt. All this stuff come in his direction. And, and I, was, I was wondering, and I don't know this because Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I was wondering if Jesus maybe ever, ever thought or uttered the words, I just can't please you. I just can't make you happy. Now, these are words that have been uttered by all of us. I could ask, have any of you ever said, I just can't please you. I can't make you happy. I don't even have to do that because you've all done that. We've done that about our boss. I just can't make my stinking boss happy. He's always complaining about it. We say it about our employees. They just are never happy. We say it about people that we work with. We say, kids say it about their parents. I can't make them happy. I try to be a decent kid and all they do is find fault with me. And husbands and wives say it about each other back and forth. It's said all the time. It's like this thing in us we feel like we try, we do our best, but we can't please people. And then, because that's true, then comes the hurt and the disappointment. I, I cannot win with you. No matter what I do, I cannot win with you. And I think, and you can disagree with me on this if you'd like, but I think that that is a reasonable description of what happens in family on a fairly regular basis. I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying it's there all the time. But I think it's a reasonable description of what happens on family, in family, on a, on a pretty regular basis. Of course, we don't, we don't show that to the public, right? I mean, we don't go out and act like that that's the thing that's really happening. But it is. Behind closed doors, back there where people don't see, there's a lot of this. I just can't please you. No matter what I do, it's there. But, as I said, we're not going to talk about it. So we're going you know, to try to take pictures of the family. I, and I always think this is hilarious. And many of you will be frustrated with me for even saying this, but, but I think sometimes families try to take pictures, and they want them to look 
like they really aren't, which means they want them to look good or something, you know, and, 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 and it never works out. And I don't know, would anybody agree with me that some family pictures probably should never be taken and at the very least should never be posted on the internet? I mean, you just, just do a little cruising. Let me just show you a couple. Here, here's one I saw. I just, I'm just wondering about this picture. Here's a happy couple with their six monkeys. I don't even know what to say about this picture, right? This is a family portrait. But here's one which will really get you. This is a woman who just gave birth to a baby in an, in <laughs> an inflatable tub. And there at the blood and afterbirth, the whole family just climbed in and joined her. What do you say to that? I mean, is that unbelievable or what? And then they snapped a picture for posterity's sake. You know, uh, uh, Joel, the guy that was just up here talking about me, he told me uh, yesterday, he said, you shouldn't even show that picture. Well, that guaranteed I would show it every service. (laughs) And he's like, it made me want to throw up. I'm like, you're a sissy. (laughs) Cows eat the afterbirth. They don't just bathe in it. Some of you are like gone now. I, I don't have anything, anything I say, you're not going to hear a word I say. But, 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 but this is true though. Uh, I bet there's tons of you who have gone to professional photographers to try to get the perfect family photo. You know, the, the, you, you dress just so, you get everything just so. And, and uh, it was, it was a, a lot of years ago now that my wife had uh, convinced me that I needed to take my youngest son, Joe, to a professional photographer and just have our portrait taken together. She thought that would be really sweet, really cool, and so I'm like, okay, I will do it. So we go up there, and after spending a long time with the photographer, I'll show you the picture that we ended up with. This was, as you can see, a long time ago. And, and, and when you look at this picture, this, let's just leave it up for a minute. When you look at it, it looks so sweet because there's Joe, and it's kind of like he's got this reflective look looking off up into the sky. Let me tell you what that is. That is a face after an hour and a half of acting like a demon. The only picture, and every one that he took that we could actually use. That is a picture of a boy who is miserable and hates his father. And that half smile that I have on my face, that is not a smile, that is just something frozen there, and I have murder in my heart. (laughs) Anybody know what I'm talking about? You went, you said, you know, sometimes you look at these family photos, you look at these pictures, and it's like you realize when you look at them close, Between the cracks, under the veneer, you see things are not all that great. That's the truth about family. I don't think anybody questions the fact that family is hard. Now, in fairness, I'm not saying family's always hard. I'm not saying that they're not good. There can be wonderful and amazing and great times in family. That is all true. But the fact is, and I don't want you to miss this, every family has levels of pain every family. It will wax and wane. It comes sometimes hard and sometimes it's not there, but every family deals with this. And one tendency that we seem, most of us seem to have is, is that we think that our dysfunctional family is unique to us. We look at other people. You came in this weekend to church here at the Hastings campus or or one of our other campuses and and you look at other people and you look at them and you go, don't they look like the best family? And then the next thought is, why is everybody else have a decent family and I'm in the wacko family. Why does that? And we think that. We actually think that. And then, of course, you watch what people post on social media, which is insanity. She's writing about her husband on their anniversary. You've been the wind beneath my wings all these years. 
No, he hasn't. <laughs> Unless he's gassy or something, maybe. Can I, can, I, can, I do, can I just pull the curtain back on this stuff, folks? Can I just, can we be honest about this? We are, do you want to know what I've learned in all these decades of ministry? You want to, you are messed up. <laughs> and so am I. And the truth is, is that every, all this stuff they post, you know, you had me at hello. Ah, you know, that's, no, no. It's like you had me at hello and five minutes later, you lost me. <laughs> this is the reality of who we are. All of us, all of us, every single family, there is pain. Underneath all of that stuff, when you pull back the curtain, I'm talking every single family. You know, I came from a reasonably healthy, middle-class American family. I was well-fed. I was clothed. Our family went to church together. I went to school. The boys, you know, my brothers and I, we all got decent grades and all that. We looked like a together family. But the deeper truth is, is that at home, behind the closed doors, when you didn't see us sitting in church or out in a public place, we were not the cleavers from Leave it to Beaver. We had all the classic family issues, all the stuff that people struggle with, they happen. I think I started stressing my parents at an early age, which is what all children do, and all the parents said. <laughs> it's just true. If you've had kids, you know it. It's like you love them. And you don't know what you want to do with them at other times. And my mom used to love to tell me stories about how I would have embarrassed her, done something. And I remember she told me this story repeatedly because it was like maybe something that kind of just it embarrassed her. But she said one day she had a friend come to the house to visit us. And I must have been three or four years old, old enough to talk, not all that old. And the woman, I guess, was a little bit overweight. I don't remember any of it, of course. But the woman was a little bit overweight. And I walked into the room where she was with the woman. And I looked at the woman, slapped my hands over my eyes and said, she's so fat I can't even look at her. Thank you, son. You've done your job. You can go now. Any parents know what I'm talking about? It's like, I gave birth to you so you could destroy my life. Well, of course, you know, mom, she talked about how tough it was, but mom had, well, you know how the saying goes, right? What goes around comes around. So, so mom had three kids, but Ann and I, we had six. So I've been paid back in spades. In spades, let me give you just one example, all right? My middle son, Michael, when he was young, never had any shyness about showing his anatomy anywhere and everywhere. I remember a very specific time here at the Hastings campus out in the lobby. Mike is probably four years old, something like that. And he's talking to a guy that he knew. And the guy was telling him, the guy knew who Mike was, and he was telling him that he'd had back surgery. And Mike found that very interesting. And he asked him about it, and the guy said, well, they cut my back back here. He said, they cut it open and pulled it open and did some work in there. And and the guy said to him, he said, you want to see my cut? And Michael's like, yeah. So the guy pulls his shirt up, pushes his pants down a little bit, and shows him the incision. He said, that's my cut. And Michael looked at that, and he looked at it, and he said, I've got one of those. Turned around, whipped his pants down. (laughs) That would be the pastor's son in the lobby, what I think was TDC's first church mooning. So proud of my boy. But kids do that to you. Would you agree with that? They do that. They embarrass you. This is, I mean, this kind of stuff happens. In my family of origin, the family that I was raised in, we were, like all families, screwed up. But you wouldn't have known that looking at us. 
If you'd have seen us sitting in the Arnett pew at the First Baptist Church in Howell, Michigan, you would have never thought that about us. If you would have seen us around in the neighborhood or if you would have seen us around in town together, you would have never thought that. But we were screwed up. Like every other family. But you don't talk about it. You never talk about it. You don't say anything. At my dad's funeral 20-some years ago, I did not stand up and say, let me tell you about the hurt that I experienced from his ongoing struggle with anger. How there were so many times that I wished I was anywhere but there. I wished I was anyone but me. And I wished that I had not spent so much of my life trying to prove that he was wrong. I am not a failure. But I did not stand up and say that at my dad's funeral. And some years later, when my mom passed away, I did not stand up at her funeral and say, let me tell you how she had this annoying habit of making these sideways criticisms with a syrupy, sweet voice and a smile attached to it that came in like a dagger into your heart. I did not get up and say that stuff because you don't do that. And my kids will have lots of ammunition that they could use at whatever memorial service may be for me when I die. But I'm almost sure that they will not do that because you don't do that. But it is there. Every single family has a mess. Every single family. Actually, this is the truth about us, is that we are broken And I think it's impossible for us to be a normal family. We are all dysfunctional, all of us, every single one. Folks, this right here, this is us. Not the perfect family portrait of mom and dad and and the kids and everybody holding hands looking wonderful, but scarred and tattered and torn and burned and muddied and damaged. This is what real family looks like. This is us, all of us. And we may think that people around us look really good, and we may think there's nothing there in their lives, but it is all of us. We struggle with this. And then what happens, because there is this, is that we have inside us this kind of disappointment, this sadness. Why why can't my marriage look like these people over here who always seem to be holding hands and feeling happy? Why can't my relationship with my kids be like with these people who seem so normal and so okay. And though we don't talk about it, and we don't even own it for the most part, many, many of us live in what Thoreau talked about, a sort of quiet desperation. A quiet desperation on the inside we just feel like, why is this? Why, why am I in this family? Oh, we're smiling on the outside. People say, you know, when you walked into church this weekend, people, hey, how you doing? What did you say? Huh? What did you say? Good. Great. Even if your life sucks, you say good. And we don't want people to really tell us the truth. Come on, is that right? It's like somebody comes up to you, you know, like, hey, how you doing? They're like, oh, my life is horrible. Good seeing you. God bless you. We don't even want to hear it. But you look around you and it's like everybody seems to be doing good and your life seems to stink, but nobody's talking about it. This is quiet. The facts are undeniable. Now, you may have come in smiling and you do have good days. And maybe today is a good day, but many, many, many of us, we worry. 
Will tomorrow be another day when a bombshell drops and something bad happens? Some snide, snarky comment is made that blows my heart into pieces and then it takes me days to recover from. We live with this sort of quiet. We've had so many hurts, so many discouragements in the place that should be our refuge, our home, from the people who should be our greatest champions, our cheerleaders, our supporters, our family, that it leaves many of us in a place quiet desperation. Again, not every minute, not all the time. But far more than you would think because we don't talk about it and we don't own the fact that this is us. That we are a mess. That we are a wreck. We don't acknowledge it. But it is there. And it is to you. Actually, this is to every one of us because everybody in here I don't care how good you look. Just look around you. These people look good. But here's the secret. They're screwed up. In fact, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, you're screwed up or you're a mess. Or you just put your words in, you want. <laughs> oh, you're enjoying this way too much. So it's to every one of you every one of you that I want to say on this Easter 2019 and I believe this with all my heart that there is hope for us screwed up as we are messed up as our families are difficult as life is with each other I believe this with all my heart there is hope and I know it sounds cliche I know that it's easy to just go, yeah, yeah, whatever. You don't know what I'm experiencing and all of that. But I want you just to consider this. I want you to think about it this weekend. I know you will have times of pain. See, I'm not saying that your life is going to become perfect if you just listen to what I say. I know it will be hard. But I am of the absolute conviction that you can walk through your life without a perpetual limp because of the brokenness and the pain in your family. I believe this with all my heart. And I'm not saying this lightly. I'm not just saying it in a, in a fanciful way. I believe this because, because of the very thing that we've been celebrating this weekend, that Jesus Christ came and offered up himself for us in his love for us. God's amazing love says, I will come to you even in your brokenness, and I will give myself for you. And I know some of you are saying, come on, Jeff, I'm here because somebody asked me to come. I'm not even sure I believe in God, and I respect your honesty. But I want you just to think about this. This is all I ask. Just think about this. If, if, if it is even remotely true that there could be a God and that that God loves and cares about us, would you agree that that changes everything? It does. It changes everything. It makes what seems beyond possible possible. It changes what families can be or what families can look like. And I want to say to you, I believe that there is hope. To the couples who are listening to me right now, and maybe one of you, maybe both of you are thinking, I think the only way up is out. I just want to say to you, I think there is hope. I think there is hope. You can't make your husband or wife do or be whatever you want them to do or be. But I will tell you something. You would be amazed at what God can do in you. To the parents who think 
that your heart's going to explode from the growing chasm between you and your child because of the way they've been behaving and you can't seem to get through to them and talk to them. I just want to say to you, I actually believe with all my heart, and I've even experienced this in so many ways, there is hope. Because of what Jesus Christ has done, if we will let it be, it changes everything. You know, at one point, Jesus is trying to convince people to understand what he had come to do. He's in a synagogue with, with people there. He'd been doing miracles. And so at one point, somebody brings a scroll over to him from the book of Isaiah, where in chapter 61, Isaiah was prophesying. And Jesus begins to read this. And let's take a look at this scripture. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach. Would you say it with me? Good news. Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll back up and he he gave it to the attendant. He sat down. Remember, he'd become incredibly popular. People knew who he was, what he'd been doing. And it says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, today I have come to bring this stuff that Isaiah was talking about, freedom. I mean, the imagery here is incredible. Think about it. Freedom from bondage and locks broken and chains loosed from you and cell doors open where you experience freedom like you've never had vision, where you've lost sight and you can't seem to see beyond the pain and the difficulty in your life. All that is there. And Jesus is saying, if you will trust me, You don't have to limp your whole life. I will help you. And to be clear, Jesus never promises that there won't be pain. Anytime you put two broken people in a house together, there's going to be pain. Come on, is that true? Anytime you get that, there's going to be. He never promised that there would be no pain, that you could find freedom to, to, to rise above and never experience any pain or difficulty. That's not what he was describing. What he was saying was, is that what you can experience is something that is so far deep down in you that even though there's brokenness and pain in your family, there is a well of something rich and good and stronger inside you. And even through the difficulty, you have something that is bigger and better. This makes me think about a part out of the epic story. Many of you are familiar with it because maybe you've seen the movie, but, but written by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Lord of the Rings. And, and in that story, at the very least, if you've seen the movies, you know that there's a character who has a great deal of responsibility, a great deal of authority. His name is, anybody tell me? Gandalf. Gandalf, you know it. Gandalf's this amazing character throughout the story of The Lord of the Rings. Well, where we're going to step into the story is where the story has reached maybe the worst place of all. Everything seems hopeless. Evil is winning. Evil appears to have actually won. And now he's in a quiet place speaking with a young hobbit named Pippin. And as they're talking, and this is very serious because it looks that all is lost, suddenly Gandalf bursts out laughing which shocks Pippin. And I don't think this scene is in the movie, but this is what it says in the book. Tolkien writes this. He says, Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face, Gandalf's face, now close beside his own. For the sound of the laugh had been gay and merry. And yet in the wizard's face, he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow. Though, as he looked more intently, 
He perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. In other words, underneath all the strain and the pain, there was something that Pippin just caught a glimpse of there. It's this fountain of joy. Now, I know some of you are saying, Jeff, you are aware that that's a book of fiction, right? I thought you were talking about what you believe is real for us. Yes. But what this story reminds me of so importantly is something that followers of Christ and people who are thinking even about it should never forget. And that is that even in the darkest times, there is a real God who really loves us and has never left us. Amen? Let me read it again. Even in the darkest times, there is a real God who really loves us and has never left us. Amen? Whatever you're experiencing, whatever pain, whatever mud, whatever stuff has slung your way, there's something when you are connected with God that is like a fountain of joy that cannot be forever contained and it is in your life. And you will experience pain and you will experience difficulty, but there's something in you that knows that there is someone in you who is bigger than all that. And this is not the end and this is not all there is. And this is so incredibly important. Through this series, we're gonna talk about how we walk in joy and in health with our families. But let me say it again. This is us. And it's not going to change as long as you're alive. Whatever your family, however comprised of, if you're single with some kids, or you're married, or your grandparents, and whatever it is, this is us. Family is messy, and family is painful at times, and family is broken. But this is also us because when we are connected with God, there is under us a fountain of joy that cannot forever be contained. And it changes how we see life. It changes how we do life. It changes how we approach our family. And listen to me, there is a way to move from quiet desperation to that fountain of joy. And it is not what many people think. It's not just running away. My parents are such crazy, insane people. I just, all I want to do is get away from them. My wife is, my husband is, my whatever it is. It is not running away. Actually, no, 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 no. What I'm talking about is not running away from anything. It's actually running to. It's running to that which is the central theme of Christianity. It's running to that which is what God freely gives us and what he calls us to share. It's running to a single thing. It's running to the grace of God. Would you say this word out loud with me? Grace. 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 Grace is where you come to the place and you say, I'm such a mess. We are so screwed up. And I cannot fix this. I cannot make it better. I cannot, I, I don't even know what to do with it. And grace is where you open up and just say, I need you, God, in my life. And God comes in, and it doesn't make everything perfect, and it doesn't take the mud all away, and it doesn't take the scars and the burn all away. But what it does is it brings under you a fountain of joy which says, there is more than this moment, and I can love them even if I don't feel loved in this moment, and I am not without hope. Let me give you a simple definition of grace. Grace is simply undeserved and unearned favor. It means that you don't deserve it, you shouldn't have it, but you get it anyhow. Because see, when we come to God and we go, I'm a mess, I need your help, you have to remember that God sees you. Remember when I said earlier, you're screwed up? I know some of you are mad at me right now. I went to church so the guy could tell me I'm screwed up. Well, if you needed me to tell you that, you're delusional anyhow, all right? But you are. And so am I. And God sees every bit of that. He sees the pain 
but he also sees those nasty thoughts that have gone through your head, those words that you have spoken to the people that you say you love, the damage that you've done, he sees all those things. This is what grace is. He sees that, and yet when you turn your heart in his direction, he just goes, come on up. Come on up. I love you right where you are. Come on up. That is grace. Undeserved, unearned favor from God. And this is really simple. When we do that, what happens is we move from the place where we're actually trying to be God to now we're just saying, I need you, I need your help, I cannot make it without you. And so we open up our hearts and we receive his grace and it changes how we do life, it changes how we do family, it changes everything. Listen, some of you listening to this, you're so tired. You're just tired. You're tired from trying to fix it. You're tired from trying to make everything good and make it all happen. You're just weary by all this. And I'm telling you, I don't think it's simple. Family is never simple, but I think you don't have to walk with the limp all of your life. And I don't think you have to run from your family. I think you can actually live with a fountain of joy underneath you that sometimes it seems like the face looks like it's filled with lines of worry and care, but underneath there is a fountain. There's a fountain of joy. There's a simple formula for how this actually works, this idea of grace, and this is what it looks like, is that grace received plus grace given equals hope for us. Grace received and grace given. Now, this doesn't guarantee everybody in your family is going to climb on board with it and like it and respond to it and all that, But what it means is, is that when you receive the grace of God, when you give the grace of God in your family, it places you over a fountain of joy. Something changes in you. And some of us desperately need to hear this. And really what this is about, let me tell you what this is about. This is about, this is about letting go, all right? Because here's the deal. Most of us, we spend our lives, and a lot of you carry them in. They're not visible. You don't see them, but they're there. We carry around with us two bags. This, is, this, this first bag, let me tell you what this is. This is my tool bag. This is my tools that I use to fix everything in life. And this is a huge and important bag to me because when I come up against struggles, I don't just sit back. I get after them. I'm going to kick that door down. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do whatever it takes. The only trouble is, of course, it's not working too well. This bag, on the other hand, this is a bag that I carry around with me that has all the wounds and all the pains and all the things she said to me, all the things that he did to me, all the pain that's wrenched me in my life from family and people around me. And we carry these bags with us and they weigh us down. And this is what this is, this idea of grace, this is what it's about, is that first, first you have to let go of your bag of tools, which is so hard. It is so hard because we love our tools and we've been told from an early age, you fix this, you take care of this, you're smart, you can do this, you handle this. And this is an attitude many of us have, I got this, I got this, I got this. Only trouble is, have you noticed you don't got this? And what happens is, is that when you finally say, you know what, I cannot do this, I cannot keep hanging on to this, and you let go of this, what happens is, is you let go of trying to fix everything yourself. Now, you still have to work in life, but you've changed from this being God to that being God. And so you let go of this thing. You just say, I'm going to let go of the tools. I cannot fix this. I cannot make it right. And you open up your hand and you receive the grace of God. And I am telling you, this changes so much. You know who needs to hear this about this bag? Every single person in this room. 
every single person watching online, anybody in any of our camps, we all need to hear this. Whether you're far from God or whether you would say, Jeff, I go to church on a regular basis. I volunteer, I serve, I don't care. Here's what I've noticed about this bag is that I will come to God and say, I am, I am broken, I cannot fix this, I need your help. And I let go of the bag and I turn my hand up and receive his grace. But then a couple days later, I come back over to that bag and I find myself inching down towards it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then pretty soon I got it in my hand again and I'm carrying it around. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to take care of this. I got this. No, 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 no. This is how you receive grace. Is you let go of your bag of tricks. You let go of all your tools and you just say, I cannot do this. First I come to you and I receive your grace. And then, this is what Jesus teaches. It's so simple really. Then, you got to let go of these hurts and wounds. And the same grace that you receive from God, now you give to the people in your family. Not because they said, oh, I'm so sorry, and I'll never do that again. Not because they've changed your ways. Not because they figured, but because God gave you grace freely, now you give it freely to the people in your family. And if you think this bag, the tools was hard to let go of, this is unbelievable. Right now, some of you are saying, Jeff, you think I, gotta, you think I can let go of this bag? You have no idea what he did to me when I was a child. You think I can let go of this bag? You have no idea what my wife did when she betrayed me, when she violated our vows, when she damaged me and broke my soul. You have no idea. And you know what? You are right. I have no idea what you've been through. I cannot speak to that, but I can tell you about this bag. It is filled with poison. And the longer you carry it, it is hooked up to you and it keeps seeping into your soul and it destroys you. Come on, are you listening to me? This bag is cancer to your life. And the reason you let go of it is not just because, you know, you have to, not because, oh, forgive them, dang it, you know, and then I, no, no, you let go of it because God says, you have, this is what Jesus actually, he used these words. He said, Freely you have received. Say the next two words out loud, please. Let's say them again. What? You freely give it. So you turn your hand up and you receive his grace. And then you let go of your wounds and your hurts. And you reach out to your family. Some of you are saying, but if you knew how my wife has hurt me lately, if you knew that she, if you knew my husband, if you knew my kid, if you knew, I don't know. I just know he would not call us to do that, which we cannot do. We lift one hand up and receive his grace and then we use one to give grace to people around us. And this starts first by building this relationship with God, by letting go of this, by letting go of this, by saying, I need you, I'm broken. So can I just ask, is that you? Now, I don't care if you are a regular church attender. I don't care if you go to church here or somewhere else. You volunteer, you help people, you're a nice person. If you've been hanging on to your tool bag, if you've been hanging on to your wounds, if you are far from God, I think maybe Easter 2019 is the day for you to turn and come back and say, God, I have to come back to you. I need to recommit my life to you. Or maybe you've never made the decision to follow him and you need to do that today. I would love to pray with you, and we'll do that in just a moment. But here's my promise. We never, you know, when I gave my life to Christ when I was, I was fairly young, and when I did that in our church, you had to stand up and walk down to the front. It was like walking the green mile. We don't do that. We don't embarrass you. We don't call you out or anything like that. 
But if you want to pray, if you want to give your heart to Christ, you can do that, and you can do that today. If you need to come back to God, you can do that today. So would everybody do this? Just bow your heads, please, out of respect for others. Close your eyes. This is just, just, just for a uh, spirit of anonymity for people who are here. If that's you, and you need to make the decision to come back to God, or to give your heart to Christ for the first time, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me, and then you can put it back down. Again, I don't call you out, but I think sometimes it's really important for people just to do that. If that's you, just lift your hand up and make eye contact with me. Okay, awesome. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Who else? If that's you, just wave it at me, all right? I see you. If we haven't made eye contact, just, just kind of wave your hand at me. Yes, sir, awesome. Who else? If that's you. It's a good step for you to kind of move that far out. Again, I won't call you up or out or anything like that. But if that's you, all right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Who else? Just lift your hand up if that's you. You say, man, I need to, I need to come back to God or I want to make the decision. All right. Awesome. I am ready to give my life to Christ. You don't even have to understand it all. You're just saying, all right, right in here. Yeah, I see you. Okay, good. Who else? Don't miss this. If God's speaking to you, this is your time, your moment. Anybody else? Last call. Over here. Okay. Heads bowed, please. Eyes closed. Those of you who lifted your hands, and maybe there are some who didn't lift their hands, but you want to pray this, you still can. So now just this is just you talking to God, just saying, God, I ask you to come in and take charge of my life. Just say that to him on the inside. I'm asking, you don't have to do it out loud. I'm asking you to come in and take charge of my life and tell him, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I believe in you, Jesus. And I know you don't understand it all. Nobody does. But you've experienced his hand touching you today. Inside, you know. So just say to him, I give you my heart. I believe. Come in and take charge of my life. Just do that right now. Come in, take charge of my life. I give you my heart. If you're serious, tell him. I mean it. I mean it. I'm coming after you, God. I'm going to walk with you. Come in. I receive your grace. And if you did that, we pray for every person who prayed that prayer that their heart will grow and expand and be everything you want it to be, God, in their life. May they experience your touch in powerful ways. And all the rest of us just say, oh, this is amazing. Yay, God, for people who make decisions for Christ. Yay, God, for that.